Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our ears that we may hear, open our eyes that we may see, and open our hearts that we may believe. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Advent holds a particularly unique place in our calendars. Uh, it's the beginning of the Christian year, but it's also in our calendar years, our Gregorian calendars, the end of the year. And so it's in this middle space, right? We've begun something new as far as the Christian calendar is concerned, but we're finishing something up as far as the Gregorian calendar is concerned. And so we find ourselves looking backward and forward in this space of Advent, looking back on the past year and seeing how our lives have went in this 2021. And then looking forward as Advent invites us to see what is to come in the new year. For me personally, this has actually affected, um, for my Advent experience, my podcast. I listen to a ton of podcasts right now. And most of them are wrapping up their seasons and they're saying, last episode for the year, we're going to go on a break. We'll come back in 2022. See you then. Which also means that they're doing reviews of 2021. So um, the New York Times book reviews did a best books of 2021, right? And they're going over all the books that came out, fiction, nonfiction, and the rest of it. One of the things I noticed in this, in this space, especially, I think, through the podcast episodes, but also just in the wider world, is that there's this kind of a low grade, and in some cases, an intensification of a collective social anxiety, right? As we look back on 2021, it hasn't been what we thought it would be. And when we look towards 2022, it doesn't look like there's going to be what we want it to be. This uh, collective social anxiety even breaks through our personal lives and just has this low-grade sense of hopelessness as to actually what's to come. Um, you can see this throughout the year that has been 2021. Uh, at the beginning of the year, if you remember, there was a Gallup poll that came out showing that um, for the first time in American history since the recording of religious data, um, church membership is below 50%. And so this immediately meant Christian leaders started discussing what is the future of the church in the United States, where church membership begins to decline, and it seems as though there isn't hope for the Christian church. There's this consistent permanence of COVID that just seems to not want to just move on and wants to stay in our lives, even though we keep opening the door and saying, you can leave now. And then there's just the personal stresses of life, right? There's still death in our family. There's still disease, divorce, betrayal, grief, relational tensions, financial hardships. None of those things have stopped. Do you feel that <laughs> social anxiety? Do you feel that hopelessness? This year hasn't been what we wanted it to be, and we don't even know if 2022 will be what we would like it to be. It is within this particular context of our times that I think Zechariah's song speaks so richly to us. In between the space of our collective social anxiety and this in-betweenness of Advent, Zechariah's song reaches out to us, grabs us by the shoulders, shakes us vigorously, and says, hope is not lost. God has come to visit us. Hope is not lost. God has come to visit us. 
both the events leading up to this song, which has just been read for us, and the song itself stress this theme, right? That of a hope-filled visitation of God, where we see God meeting Elizabeth and Zechariah in their earnest hope and expectation of a son. And in the song, we see Zechariah actually singing forth and praising God for his visitation. You'll recall at the beginning of Luke 1, Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous. They were both barren. The, the um, text stresses to say that it's not just Elizabeth that can't give birth, but they're both old, which means even Zechariah is not able to do what is required of him to conceive of a child. Both are in the line of priests, and Zechariah himself is a priest. He is chosen through the casting of lots to enter the temple to burn incense. And while the people pray outside, it is in the temple that he encounters the angel of the Lord, who tells him that Elizabeth will bear a son and his name will be called John. Zechariah asks, how? And Gabriel the angel says, really? I'm a whole angel standing in front of you and you need additional proof? The very opening of Zechariah's story is an answered prayer, right? That the hope they've been having for so long of a child has been met when God visits Zechariah in the temple in the angel Gabriel. And yet he responds with unbelief. So Zechariah is made mute and silent until Elizabeth gives birth. Elizabeth, um, Zechariah comes out of the temple unable to speak and the people conclude that he must have seen a vision. But then we come to our uh, portion of the text where Elizabeth does give birth. She gives birth and yet Zechariah is still mute. And on the eighth day, when the baby is circumcised and when everyone comes around to see what the name of the child will be, they assume it will be Zechariah since their hope has been met and this is their way of making sure that their legacy can remain in their society. However, Elizabeth says, no, his name will be John. John? So they turn to Zechariah. What, what will his name be? And Zechariah writes on a tablet, his name is John. And immediately his mouth is opened and immediately he speaks and immediately he starts blessing God. After nine months of silence. I wonder what it would have been like to be silent for nine months. To have to write down everything in order to communicate. It's not like they had a uniform system of sign language where everyone could just quickly switch as though it was a seamless act. To be in a constant state of receiving, right? Everyone's giving you directions, telling you where to go, what to do. And you rarely get to participate in the conversations around you. Interestingly enough for me, I actually kind of know something of what Zechariah would have felt. When I was 13, I was going through puberty as most 13 year old boys do. And I loved playing football or soccer, depending on how you want to classify it. <laughs> and during lunch, every day during school, I had a 30-minute game of football. And I was screaming to the top of my lungs, telling people to cross over, shout into the defender, block him, the rest of it. What happened eventually is that I actually developed cysts on my vocal folds. And I had to go to the hospital. And the surgeon, the doctor said, we're going to have to remove your vocal folds. 
I thought you, that would mean I would lose my voice. Well, you said, actually, you'll still be able to speak, as you can tell, but any hope of being an opera singer is gone. <laughs> okay. um, he did note that there was a 5% chance that the operation, although a, a straightforward one, could lead to the loss of my voice permanently. Now, for a 13-year-old, that's not what you want to hear. Um, and so after the, the surgery, I was instructed not to speak for a week so that my voice box could heal. I tried telling a 13-year-old not to speak for a week. It was brutal. I mean, my younger brother made fun of me because he knew I dare not shout at him. But also it meant that I just had to live in my head. I mean, at the beginning, I tried to write as much as I could and communicate. But eventually, two, three days in, I was like, I'm done. I'm just going to sit there. I'm just going to eat my breakfast. I'm just going to mind my business. I'm going to play my PlayStation games. And I'm going to basically be by myself. Even in the presence of others, I was by myself. And I think this is something of what Zechariah experienced. At the beginning, he tried to still be integrated into the life of his community, but eventually he just said, you know what, I'm just going to sit down and be by myself. And it's in that space of silence where he was living in his head and having space to ponder and to think about the ways in which God has been gracious to him and to Elizabeth, that I think this song burst forth. I don't necessarily think that it was a spontaneous song, but actually I think Zechariah had nine months to think about it, to gather his thoughts, to read scripture, to meditate, to pray. And when his mouth opens, he says, finally I can deliver the song that I have been ruminating on, I've been thinking and pondering about for the past nine months. And so when he speaks, the only natural thing for him to do is to bless God. Now, it might seem overly dramatic, but if you were silent for nine months, I would want to say I think you would sing too once your mouth was open. And isn't it, isn't it often the case that those who have actually gone the length and depth of the human experience, who have taken the time to ponder, not just to go through life at a superficial level, but to really experience the depth of the human experience, it is those who are best placed to marvel at the graciousness of God. This is what our painting depicts, the 16th century Italian painter, Jacobo Tintoretto. Unlike most paintings of Zechariah, here you have Zechariah actually singing. Most have him writing. His name is John. But here you see Zechariah speaking. You catch him in live action singing. He's facing up to God, blessing God, and his hand is on his heart. As though to say, this is my worshipful devotion of praise to you. Oh Lord. And this song from verse 68 to 79 is sandwiched between one crucial word. At the beginning of the psalm of the song or psalm in verse 68, it says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people. And then in verse 78, we read, Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us. The word there is episkeptomai, to visit, to come. And it's a gracious visitation of God. So the entire song, right, has at the beginning and the end, the gracious visitation of God. As to say that everything that Zechariah is going to speak about, everything in between is pointed to that same message. God has come to visit us. The song reaches back in time to the prophets and to the ancestors 
to the covenantal promises of God with Abraham and with David. And in doing so, the song is reaching back to the demonstrated faithfulness of God, the God who guided Abraham, the God who blessed Jacob, the God who remembered Israel in Egypt, the God who led the people, who led the people with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, the God who answered the prayer of Hannah, the same God who answered the prayer of Zechariah and of Elizabeth. That God is a faithful God, is whom Zechariah calls us to. And so Zechariah sings to us, hope is not lost. God has come to visit us. The song begins broad, verse 68 to 75, taking us back in time through the Old Testament promises. And then it narrows down, verse 76 to 79, through the son, John the Baptist, of what he will do as the one who will prepare the way for the Messiah, and then who this Messiah will be. And so we have a crescendo in verse 78 and 79, that because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun, referring to Jesus Christ, will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is imagery borrowed from Isaiah, where, for example, in Isaiah 9, read that light has shone on those who were dwelling in darkness. It is a picture of hope breaking through despair, a picture of life breaking through death, both of which have been typified already in Zechariah's story, right? Their hope of a child has come to fruition. They've lived in despair of not being able to bear a son, and the angel said, Elizabeth will bear a child. What was once barren is now full of life. And I'm sure as he was singing this song, they probably heard the cries and scream of John the Baptist in the background. Life screaming through what was once barren. Hope breaking through despair. It reminds me, as I think of this imagery of the rising sun, it reminds me of um, the famous cartoon character, Peter Rabbit. I don't know if you know Peter Rabbit. Uh, English character, um, an actual rabbit named Peter, who lives in the English countryside. Uh, grew up uh, reading the books Peter Rabbit. Would highly recommend it for your children, or for yourself if, you'd, if you would like to read it. Um, but in 2018, they came out of a movie on Peter Rabbit. And so I took my youngest brother to watch it. And um, there's a repeated scene in the movie itself, which is, the first time you see it, you have the rooster who's crowing in the morning as the sun is rising. And you see, kind of see the rooster from afar just crowing, like, okay, it's, it's morning. But then the camera switches and you kind of get a frontal face view of the rooster. And everything that they're saying translates into English. And what does the rooster say in the morning at the sunrise? Well, the movie directors translate it for us. The rooster is astonished. It says, I can't believe it. The sun is rising. I saw it set last night and I was pretty sure it was gonna be dark forever. I had lost all hope, but would you believe it? The sun is rising and you're like, oh wow. And then it comes again in another scene, the same thing, you see the rooster crow and then it, it switches and you see um, the words translated in English and what does the rooster say? It happened again. It happened yesterday, 
but I was pretty sure that was the last time the sun was ever going to rise. But you won't believe it. The sun rose again. And then it happens a third time. <laughs> and the rooster's like, now, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I was pretty sure that was the final time but yet the sun has risen again. And at first you kind of get annoyed, like, okay, we've seen the scene three times now. But the message is clear. The rooster never loses hope. Every time the rooster sees the sun rise, what we're being told is that his acclamation is not one of um, an alarm letting you know it's morning, but actually of joy and marvel that the sun has risen again. I think that kind of joy is what we're expected to respond to as we hear the song. The rising sun will come to visit us. Hope is not lost. God has come to visit us. John Calvin writes it like this. Even in darkness, even in death itself, there is nevertheless a good ground of hope. For the power of God is sufficient to restore life to his people when they appear to be already dead. Even when it appears that all is already dead, the power of God is sufficient to restore life to his people. And so there is nevertheless, irrespective of what is happening in our society, irrespective of what is happening in our lives, there is nevertheless a good ground of hope. Hope is not lost. God has come to visit us. Five years after World War II, a Christian minister writes this to his people as they have to deal with the wake of a new society. How do we reconstruct our world after the dev devastation of World War II? And the minister writes, the brightest and only enduring star of hope in the darkness of global night is the sovereign reality of the merciful God the brightest and only enduring star of hope. In the darkness of global night is the sovereign reality of the merciful God. This is what Zechariah's story and Zechariah's song speak to, that the God who is faithful is the God who visits us in spite of our faithlessness. That the God who blesses is the God who blesses us in his visitation in spite of our doubts and hesitations. In Zechariah's song, we see the God who keeps the promises of old to Abraham and to David. And we see the God who visits us with light and brings us into a path of peace. The rising sun that Zechariah speaks of is Jesus Christ. That rising sun has come to visit us. And so Jesus Christ is the fullest expression of the gracious visitation of God. Hope is not lost. Christ has come to visit us. He does so in the incarnation when he takes on human flesh. And even in the life of ministry of Jesus Christ, right, we see Jesus Christ visiting with grace. He goes to the house of Zacchaeus and says, salvation has come to this house. A gracious visitation. In John 11, when Martha and Mary are weeping, saying, all hope is lost, our brother is dead. Jesus Christ visits the tomb of Lazarus and in the place of death speaks life. Lazarus, come out. Jesus Christ says that as though he's already alive. In the place of death, Jesus Christ visits with hope. 
On the cross, when the one who was perfect, who ought to be visited himself with grace, goes to the cross, we see Jesus Christ visited not with grace, as we would think, but with judgment. Jesus Christ receives the visitation of judgment so that we, although we are despairing and in darkness, walking in the shadow of death, we would be visited with grace. That when we meet face to face with God, we would see the face of grace. Because God has come to visit us and has visited us with grace, Zechariah tells us hope is never lost. Despair, in the end, is never final. Darkness will not win, and even death will be turned to life. That which is barren will burst forth with the cry of a child. Our shame will be turned to praise, and in the deepest silence and recesses of our lives, a song will burst forth. God has come to visit us. Zechariah's story and Zechariah's song speak of the same truth. Even in the midst of darkness and death, in spite of our unbelief and faithlessness, when hope seems but a distant fantasy, hope is not lost. God has come to visit us. The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on us who are living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. If there was ever a song that we needed in this time, both collectively and individually, it was that. To know that hope is not lost, God has come to visit us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, let us remember this divine truth that you have visited us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that even in the darkness of our despair, in the darkness of our society, light will burst forth. The rising sun will come to us from heaven because the rising sun has already come to us on earth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.